32 years old. Anybody in here 32? I guarantee you, you look younger than she did. Uh, this lady's name is Florence Owen Thompson. And at the time this picture was, this was taken in 1936. And it was commissioned by the U.S. government that sent out a photographer, a professional photographer, to go all over the United States and uh, amass a catalog of depression pictures. There's other pictures with her and her nine children in the back of a wagon that they'd built a tent over. My grandfather told me that during the Great Depression in Little Rock, he would drive to work. He was the superintendent of mails. He worked for the U.S. government post office. And he would go to work every morning. He said, you could see a soup line of men standing six, seven, eight blocks long, waiting to get a bowl of soup and hoping to get a job. It was hard times. This woman was resilient. 32 years old, Florence Owen Thompson. Her family was Cherokee Indian, and they migrated on the Great uh, Trail of Tears from North Carolina to Oklahoma. She lived on a farm. At the same time the Depression began, there was another event called the Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl affected Kansas and um, all of the prairie states and so forth. And the Dust Bowl was actually due to man's outsmarting himself. Man realized that he could plow 18, 16, 18 furrows of ground all at one time with a big tractor and instead of plowing behind a mule one row at a time, he could plow up 16 rows. And he plowed up all the prairie grass. There was nothing to hold the soil down. And so the winds <laughs> across Kansas <laughs> are still uh, blowing today. <laughs> we got off the plane this morning and stepped out and went, whoa. <laughs> and our pilot says, welcome to Kansas. <laughs> But the dust bowl began to blow all the soil away. I, I've read where the dust was so hard that it blew the paint off the houses. And it, everybody, they couldn't live, they couldn't breathe, they couldn't farm, they couldn't do anything. So they walked to California. <laughs> Literally. One country music group, if you saw Ken Burns' music special, one country music group, they started walking to California and somebody said, you'll never get there that way. You need to ride the rails. So they rode the railroad cars. It was a different time in our country and people were suffering. They were out of work. 25 million people out of a job, no jobs. And this woman, she walked from Oklahoma to California. At that time, she had seven children. They got to California, her husband died. She remarried, had two more children. So she had nine children living in the back of a wagon with a tarp over it. And this photographer comes by and said, can I take your picture? And she said, yes. Now, I, I went ahead and read her story. And you think you can take the picture down now. And... Uh, she lived, I have, I saw a picture of she and her family, all her children, and she lived to be 91 years old. But you know how she survived? She was a migratory farm worker. 
And that picture was taken in California. She was picking peas and cotton 16 hours a day with nine children. And we can't even get waiters and waitresses to go to work today. We can't even get people. I was talking to another businessman the other day. He said, well, he said, I, I, I hire some people. Everybody's got signs out, now hiring, hiring, now hiring. He said, I hired some people the other day. He said, they stayed two weeks and left. Now, many states are cutting out the subsidy. You're not going to get $1,200 a month for sitting at home watching TV. You're going to have to go do something. And uh, I remember my grandmother, my grandfather, and my grandfather was born in 1889, raised on a farm. I love to talk to him. I said, well, uh, what did you do when you came home from school, grandfather? Did you, go, you watch TV? He just looked at me like, they didn't even have electricity. I said, grandmother, what was your job? She said, my job was to trim the wicks on the lanterns and fill them with coal oil. That's kerosene. That was her job. I said, well, what did you eat? She said, well, we ate whatever we grew and whatever my father could shoot in the woods. Rabbits, squirrels, etc. Grandfather got a job working a sawmill for $1 a day. I said, well, did you get to ride the mule? And she said, no. He said, you couldn't ride that mule. He said, that, my daddy told me that mule was for plowing, not riding. Hello, are y'all here? <laughs> and I wanted to hear uh, their story of how they were raised and, uh, and how they grew up. And, and my grandfather and my grandmother lived the 80s and 90s, and they raised four kids. My dad's one of them. My daddy's oldest brother lived in 93. I mean, these were hardworking people, and they, they, they have a long life in their, in their genes. My sister and I say all the time, we got good genes. I said, yeah, we, we do. Thank God for that. But they worked. They got up in the morning and worked. I mean, they probably slopped hogs and, and milked cows and fed the chickens before they ate breakfast. And for breakfast, they had eggs and ham and sausage and whatever. But they worked all that off by noon. They, they didn't have an exercise on the back porch. You know, they didn't need one. This is resilience. And it's taught, it's trained, it's cultured, it's, it's brought in. A work ethic. You know, the Bible says you don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. You encourage people to work. Work is good. And we can't be weak. We can't faint. We have to have resilience in the face of adversity. Now, I want to talk about a term called globalism. Anybody ever heard that term, globalism? Or you might have heard the term global reset. Uh, I heard about it just the other day. Um, somebody was talking about global reset. We'll turn over to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now this is to help you understand and, and define the terms and what's going on where we live and uh, what's happening. Second, Thessalonians, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Um, in our modern culture, when you hear the word globalism, it's, uh, it's kind of like our economy. We're, we live in a global economy now. We don't just do business with uh, next-door neighbors in uh, Texas or, you know, where we do business globally. And globalism is what we've uh, trained ourselves to think about. I, I heard uh, Dr. David Jeremiah this morning, pastors out in San Diego, he's, he's just written a new book. He said, uh, uh, God is not a globalist. God is a nationalist. God is a nationalist. He's, he's a nation builder. It talks about nations. Nations that serve God. Nations that worship God. Jesus in Matthew 24 said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nation against nation. But let me show you what, the, and you hear the word globalism or, or global reset, or you might hear new world order. If you get on certain airlines, they have, they're real proud of their new world order or one world order. They'll tell you about it in the introductory remarks. Uh, such and such airlines is glad to be a part of the new world order. What they don't, they don't realize what they're saying. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by a gathering together unto Him. That's a reference to the rapture. The second coming of Christ is when Jesus comes back with His saints, that's us, and every eye sees Him. That's at the end of, of the great tribulation period. But before he comes and catches us up in the air, which is called the rapture, the catching away of the church, he says here, <clears throat> concerning our gathering together unto him. Look at the next verse. Don't be soon shaken in mind, troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now the day of Christ, that's, that's talking about the tribulation period up till the time that Jesus comes back the second time. How many of you believe he's been here once already? Uh, one of our trips to Israel, we had a, a Jewish tour guide his name was Natan Amarai. I'm sorry, uh, David Kidron. That was another tour guide. David Kidron, named after King David, the Kidron Valley. And he was lecturing us and telling us at the Golden Gate there, right from the Mount of Olives. He said, now the Bible says, he said, you all, you Christians are looking for Christ's second coming. We Jews are looking for his first coming. And the Bible says that he will touch down on the Mount of Olives He'll walk across the Kidron Valley and go through that gate that was sealed up by the Turks. And he said, uh, if I'm still alive when that happens, he said, I'm going to run through the crowd. I'm going to pull on his garment and I'm going to say, pardon me, sir. Have you been here before? <laughs> That's a standard joke among tour guides uh, in Israel. Sad, he may not make it. He might, he might not be alive when Jesus returns unless the Lord delays his, his coming and this guy gets uh, born again. But the first coming uh, we know was in a manger. Uh, the second coming, he comes on a white horse. 
and we come with him. I like the front on that uh, book that Jeannie wrote. I, I tell you what, the picture is worth whatever the book costs because it's the Lord Jesus. He's king of kings. He's got on a crown. <laughs> I mean, he's coming back the second time. But here, the apostle Paul is talking about the rapture of the church. And, and listen to what he says. And before that day can come, there has to be a falling away first. Another translation says, the departure of the church. The church has to depart before, read the rest of it, before the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. Before the Antichrist and before the man of sin, the false prophet and the beast system can go into operation, the church has to be taken out. Listen to this. Here's why. Here's the Antichrist. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that as God he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's Satan's always wanted to be God. If you read the book of Revelation, you find there was a war in heaven. Satan was cast out. Jesus told his disciples, I saw Satan thrown out of heaven like lightning. Uh, in one of my books, and Michelle has been so much of a blessing to translate in some of these books, transcribe, I, I, I deal just slightly with uh, the term ownership. And I taught, I taught a whole exhaustive series on it. Have a manuscript about that thick. I sent it to one publisher and they said, we don't understand this at all. So if I ever get around to publishing, it'll have to be self-published. I had heard uh, a message out of Proverbs, and you may have heard this too. You may have used it yourself. Uh, and it talks about... If you catch a thief, you make him pay back seven times what he's stolen. Anybody ever heard that? Well, if you read it in its context and you keep it in the setting, he's really referring to adultery. He's talking about the sin of adultery. But he says, if you catch a thief, you make him pay seven times. Uh, a thief is someone that stole something that doesn't belong to him. So if you... You know, commit adultery, you're stealing something that doesn't belong to you. And he said, you make a thief pay back seven times. And I'd heard that message. And I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and God speaks to me a lot when I first wake up. And the Lord said, it's not about running after the devil to get back what he's stolen. You certainly have the right to do that. But that's not what this whole scenario is about. He said it's about ownership. Ownership. And at first I thought he meant, you know, taking ownership of your position, your family, taking position over your authority. But he said, made it more clear to me the other day, he said it's about ownership of the earth. That's what the war has been about. Because God gave the earth to Adam. Told him to rule and reign. And Adam turned it over to the devil. Well, we just read here, the apostle Paul said, the man of sin, the Antichrist, he wants to be God. He wants to sit in the uh, place of God. It's about ownership. 
And this is what the battle's been about since the, actually before the Garden of Eden in heaven in Revelation when Satan tried to be God and God threw him out, cast him to the earth. And ever since that day, Satan has wanted to own the earth. And that's what the battle is about. Who is going to own the earth? I got good news for you. <laughs> God gave the ownership to his church, to his believers, to his body. We have been given the ownership through Adam, through Abraham, through Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus. So he's given the ownership to us. That's what the, that's what the war is over. But here's Satan, the Antichrist, the man of sin. He is opposed, exalts himself above all that's called God. And verse uh, 6, And now you know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. I used to think that meant the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is going to remain. He's going to empower and anoint the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to preach the gospel to the world during the great tribulation period. And if you've heard about last day's revival, I heard David Reagan say this morning on his program, he does not believe it. We've all heard it. We've all prayed for it, all believed for it, and it'd be wonderful, and we'd like to see it. A worldwide revival. But he said, there's nowhere in the scriptures that it talks about a worldwide revival except in Revelation when it says the 144,000 Jewish evangelists will preach the gospel to the world. And in Revelation, it tells the end result of that is when all these people come up before the throne of God and are worshiping Jesus we're all there because the church is raptured out. After Revelation chapter 4, the church is no longer on the earth. We're in heaven worshiping God. In Revelation 12, it says that one of the elders said, when all these people came in the throne and they were worshiping God, and the elder said, who are these people? And where did they come from? And the answer, Jesus answered him and said, these are those that were saved out of the great tribulation period. So there's your worldwide revival. These are the people that were saved out of the great tribulation period, and they're now born again, and they join us in heaven, worshiping the Lamb forever. Now back to my scripture here. Who is he that letteth? Who is he that restraineth? Who's holding back? the Antichrist and the false prophet from taking their position on stage. The church. Amen. Who, who are we? What is the church? The body of Christ. Amen. Christ is a man. Amen. Amen. He, he don't know anything about transgendered. He knows who he is. Like one brother says, you know, if you're not sure what you are or who you are, check your plumbing. You'll find out who you are, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. Amen. We are the body of Christ. 
And it says, he, the body of Christ, is the restraint. Satan, the man of sin, antichrist, false prophet, cannot take the stage. They cannot go into that great tribulation period until after we are gone. You ever heard Bruce Jenner? Caitlin, as she thinks, he thinks, tell his story. When he was a little boy, a voice spoke to him and told him he was a girl. He said, I listened to that voice for years. He said, that's why I wore my hair long. How many of you know who I'm talking about, the athlete? And he said, and one day finally I decided, okay, I'm a girl. Who do you think that was talking to him? A demon spirit trying to tell him he was a girl when he was a boy. And have you seen pictures of it lately? (laughs) Bad news. I mean, the, the guy looks horrible. Sin is taking its toll on his life. He doesn't know who he is, but God knows who he is. Amen. I heard testimony of one lady. Somebody asked her about her, her little boy who was being indoctrinated with this gen, transgenderism. Said, well, what do you, she said, well, every morning when I go into my little boy's bedroom and I wake him up, I said, now, darling, how do you feel today? Do you feel like a girl or do you feel like a boy? And she said, whatever he tells me is how I treat him all day. Folks, there's nothing wrong with admitting and acknowledging who you are. Well, moving right along. And, you know, if they kick you out of the school or out of the church or, you know, out of your neighborhood bridge club or whatever, just because you believe the Bible, then that's their problem. You need to love them, witness to them, and let them know, you know. So, I'm saying all that to say, the global reset cannot begin until after the departure of the church. And the global reset is really referring to the great tribulation period. So, we are not in the global reset yet. What we are experiencing now in our culture today is what Paul talks about to Timothy. Turn over there with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. What we're experiencing now is the perilous times that Paul talks about. In um, verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, 1. Now, I'm telling you all this so you'll know when you hear these terms and you hear people talk about it, you may hear preaching about it, you won't be deceived. It's the first thing Jesus told his disciples. Don't let any man deceive you. And there are people that have good intentions, but we've gotten into a point now where there's conspiracy prophecies, there's conspiracy theories, there's wannabe prophets and pseudo-prophets and and they even prophesying to each other. You know, you get, you get together with people and all they do is prophesy and prophesy. And if you don't know the word, you might believe some of it and deceive you. I heard prophecies about uh, 2020, prophecies about 2021. Uh, most of them never came to pass. Uh, remember when the pandemic started in what, March of 2020? 
And I was out in the backyard and I was just praying. I said, Lord, why can't we stop this? I mean, we're faith people. We're born of God. This is a victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. I mean, we, as a church company, we prayed, we fasted, we prophesied, we cursed. We did all kinds of things uh, to this virus. It didn't change one thing. And I said, why can't we stop this? He said, the reason you can't stop it is because I said, Matthew 24, 6, these things must come to pass. Didn't say it was from him. He didn't send it. He's not using it to chastise us, to train us, to, you know, correct us. God doesn't use those kind of things. He doesn't lead us, as I said in the book, by seasoned signs. and He leads us by the Holy Ghost. And Paul said, I can't talk to you Corinthians because you're, you're carnal. I can't talk to you about spiritual things because you're so carnal. And, and he said, you can't stop it because it has to come to pass. He said, now you can stop it from coming on you and your family, but you can't stop it from coming to pass. Well, if you go back and read all of that that he said, that all of that discourse, he said there'll be wars and rumors of wars and there'll be uh, pestilence and there'll be famines and earthquakes and, and nation against nation, ethnicity against ethnicity, racism, etc. We've seen all that, hadn't we? The bad news is, is he said, this is just the beginning of sorrows. The real sorrows hit after the church is raptured out. When the church departs, then the man of sin, the Antichrist, the false prophet will come and sit in their place in the, on the stage. And then the great tribulation period, that's when the real global reset takes place is the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, there's one more thing that I want to address before we conclude. And that is, and you may have heard that term, uh, World War III. Yep. I heard a man say just the other day that um, we're in World War III right now. And I thought, no, we're not in World War III right now. Now, Hilton Sutton wrote a book called World War III, 1982, I knew Hilton well and heard him teach it. I've got the copy of the book. But he makes it very clear. First of all, there is no phrasing in the Old or New Testament that uses the term World War III. And if you go back and study our world wars, World War I, World War II, when you think World War, I know I did, there's what, 150 nations in the world about approximately? World War I, World War II only had about 30 nations that participated in both of these wars. So it wasn't global. And I was telling the pastor this morning when I studied it, I found out a lot of these nations, especially in Europe, they just, you know, they just got caught up in war and they would attack their neighbors. They would attack the next country. Just, and it's all because of power, control, greed, uh, real estate, money, it's World War III is not what you think it is. And it's not what's going on now. One preacher I heard say we're in World War III now. No, we're not. What we're in now is what uh, is stated in Second Timothy is perilous times. Um, World War III, as Hilton described it, is God's conquest of Russia. 
Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's what, quote, World War III is about. It's not about getting into another world war. It's about God's conquest of Russia. But before we go there, I kind of got ahead of myself. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3. This know also in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, that's where we are right now. 2 Timothy 3, 1. Men shall become lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, that's abortion, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Uh, Let me make this little comment, this footnote about uh, natural affection. And all the sexual perversion stuff goes into, fits into this category. Uh, Years ago, President Ronald Reagan stood against communism like no other president had ever stood against it. The Cold War, they called it. Not shooting guns, but fighting ideologies, doctrines. And uh, they made a movie about his life even before he was an actor, when he was an athlete, an actor, and then when he became governor and then president. He never stopped fighting against communism because he studied it and found out the uh, destruction that it carried. And so I've got the movie. It's called In the Face of Evil. And it goes back to communism in any isms like that, fascism, Uh, communism, socialism, all of them attack the same things. Religion, education, those are the two main ones. And and gradually uh, the the economy. And uh, the beast, as he called it, uh, communism, he goes back to Joseph Stalin in Russia and, and I'm springing off of this. I'm taking a lot of little side trips here, but I want to deal with this one. We read uh, uh, Natural Affection. Joseph Stalin killed um, 40 million of his own people. Uh, wait a minute, 30 million. 30 million of his own people. No, it was 40 million. 40 million people he killed, Russians. Soviet Union. Mao Zedong killed 60 million of his own people. And we shudder. We, we, of course, in, in our culture today, that doesn't mean much to anybody because they don't know what that involved, what it included, and so forth. And I was thinking all of the prayers that we've seen, prayer conferences, praise and worship conferences, uh, fastings, prayers, everybody's praying, God, won't you answer our prayer? And they always quote Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. But the scripture says, turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Oh, and it's, it's constant. It's going on past, present, future. It's going to continue to go on. Ladies and gentlemen, you can pray until your voice quits. You can fast until you weigh nine pounds. You can do all the things that we normally associate with prayer. And by the way, that Second Chronicles seven fourteen 
in its setting, in its, in its place in the scripture, God was speaking to Israel. He said, if my people, and you read about what they were doing, what was going on. He was speaking to Israel. He said, if my people will turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. Now we can take it and use it as a pattern. But after I saw where Stalin killed 40 million, Mao Zedong 60 million, in America, we have killed 63 million unborn babies. So you can pray until you can't even talk anymore. But until we stop murdering the unborn, we're not going to see anything. I mean, what if you took your car and ran it into a tree every day? Just drove it into a tree, busted the bumper, the dash, the hood, and you take it back to the dealer of the body shop and say, would you fix this? And say, yeah. Next day you do the same thing. Take it back. Yeah. And then pretty soon they're going to ask you, what are you doing? Well, I'm just running into a tree. Well, I'm not going to fix it anymore than if you keep running into a tree. We cannot ask God or expect God to turn our nation around as long as we as a country systematically, willingly, taxpayer money funded, kill unborn children. If you want God to intervene and do whatever he needs to do or you want him to do what he says he'll do, you got to quit killing the kids. Sister Teresa said, any nation that kills its unborn will lose its soul. We've done it. Ronald Reagan wrote a book called uh, The Conscience of a Nation in the 80s. He said, any nation that keeps killing their unborn children will sear their conscience. We've done that. Romans says that God will turn those people over to a reprobate mind. You want to know why we didn't know what to do where Afghanistan was concerned? Why we don't know what to do about immigration? Why we don't know what to do about all these things? Is because our leaders have said, no more God. The mayor of New York, de Blasio, I think his name is, the horror that's going on there right now in New York City, all the devastation, all the death, everything. Mayor de Blasio told Franklin Graham, you are not welcome in New York City. We don't need God in our city. Now, Romans addresses that and said, when they say we don't want God, he turns them over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate mind means a mind void of judgment. Why don't our leaders know what to do? Because they have reprobate minds. They don't have an answer. They don't know and don't care what the Bible says. And if you think God's <laughs> insensitive, read Proverbs chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1. And he said, as long as they are willingly saying, I don't want God in my business, I don't want God in my mind, I don't want God in my country. God says, when calamity comes, I will laugh at their calamity. Folks, God is a God of love. But he hates sin. And if you read Proverbs chapter 6, 
one of the first things on the list that he hates is when you kill innocent, shed innocent blood. In Arkansas, we passed a law. No more abortion after, what, five, six weeks? Texas has passed it. And the United States government, President Biden, has sued the state of Texas. <laughs> it ain't getting no better uh, fast. But we've passed the law. So when Roe versus Wade goes down and it goes back to states' rights in Arkansas, you can't get an abortion after, what, five or six weeks, whatever. I think it said it, the woman doesn't even know if she's pregnant, but you can't get an abortion and certainly can't get the taxpayers to pay for it. Amen. Now, everybody has their opinion. Everybody has a different idea about everything. But the fact remains, we can't look down our nose at Stalin or Mao Zedong or anybody else when we're killing more babies. We're killing more people than any, any culture has ever killed before. Whether you want the power over your own body, <laughs> like Jeannie's hairdresser told her the other day, they were talking about something real sensitive. And she said, oh, ain't nobody going to tell me what I can do with my body. As long as we have that attitude. Right. Women's rights. I have the rights, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Philip will correct me or he'll fix it when I leave. <laughs> and I know there are extenuating circumstances, and I know there are women that are raped or incest. I know all those kind of things that happen. But if you want to have control and, and total, complete control over your own body, don't wait until after there's a baby. Say no before there's a baby. <laughs> That's control. No. Oh, but I love you, baby. Good. Then you can wait until we get married. Look, the old boy, he, he, he took his girlfriend to church and she went down and got saved. She went back and got him and said, you want to go down with me and get saved? He said, no. She said, then we're through. We're done. Our relationship is over. He said, why? She said, if you don't want to go to heaven with me, I'm not going to hell with you. <laughs> when my wife and I were sitting at the kitchen table, uh, or maybe not the kitchen table, but on the couch or whatever, and we were talking about getting married. And she said, uh, we said, let's make a, we got a yellow pad, let's make a, a list of all the things we want in a spouse. And I wrote my list out, and she wrote her list out. I read her list, she read my list. And she handed me that thing back, and she said, now, here's who I am, here's what I expect, and here's what you're going to get. Take it or leave it. <laughs> I said, whoa. She means business, huh? But it's better to do it then. <laughs> Thank God for her, because if it hadn't been for her and her family, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be lost somewhere. Okay, let me finish up. I'm, that, that clock ain't helping me uh, at all. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I lost my place there. Y'all understand what World War III is? 
It's about God's conquest of Russia. Read Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. And it says in there, when, of course, they call Russia Gog and Magog, Meshach and Tubal, which refers to Russia, and about, oh, maybe a dozen other nations, they will try to invade Israel from the north. And it says they will think an evil thought. And that evil thought is, and it spells it out. And, and of course, Israel is the center point of all this. Satan has hated Israel. That's why he still hates it today. And they said, uh, Gog and Magog, they said, we're going to uh, go down uh, from the north to Israel and we're going to invade it because there are unwalled villages and there's no bars or gates and Israel is totally defenseless. So we're going to go down now. And, and the ingredients in this type of um, warfare is usually food because Russia doesn't have the growing season that Israel does. Israel's like Southern California. It grows food year-round. They ship flowers out every day to Europe, uh, food to Europe, food all over the world. They're the breadbasket. God's blessed them. The desert's blooming like a rose. They, they Cotton, bananas, uh, um, flowers, you, you name it, uh, palms, dates, uh, everything, melons, grapefruit, breadfruit, they call it. So they want food. They want natural resources. There's more oil and gas under the ground of Israel than there is in all the Middle East countries. And strategic military locations. We were there for the dedication of the embassy in 2018, May 14, when President Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And we got a chance to go down and um, see uh, one of the naval ports. I didn't realize Israel had a navy, and I didn't understand why they needed one. But I got to go aboard one of the ships. I told the I got to meet the captain, and I said, you know. I served in the U.S. Navy, and I said, I'd like to go down and look at your ships. He said, fine, go ahead. They're smaller than our destroyers, but they're, they've got more armament on them, especially high-tech missiles, et cetera, heavily armed. And so I said, why? I didn't realize Israel needed a Navy. He said, oh, yeah. I said, why? He said, because Russia would love to have one of our soft water ports so they could invade from the sea. He said, but they're not going to get one. <laughs> I said, good, good for you. They don't, they don't need one. So, and, and we were there. There are, at this time, there are no unwalled villages. There are no anything without bars and security. Israel is one of the most highly fortified and security conscious nations on the planet. So by that, we know, according to Ezekiel 38, 39, it's not time for Russia to invade Israel from the north. Now, when will that time be? The day after the catching away of the church. Amen. That's when World War III, as they say, will take place. That's when uh, Russia will invade Israel from the north is after we're gone And there's debate now over whether the United States will even survive because, and this is not a negative theory, but you read about all the nations that will be involved in the tribulation period and, and will be there for Israel 
in America is not listed. What happened to America? Well, there's several theories. Civil war, economic implosion. Any, any number of things could happen. Just, just think about after the rapture takes place. Born-again Christians, how many people in, the, in the America? 360 million, 350 million? What if just 10% are saved and are caught up in the rapture? What's that, 35 million? <laughs> that means that our country will be absent of 35 million people. Loss of revenue, <laughs> loss of taxes, loss of people, loss of workers. You think it's bad now? Wait till after the rapture. 35 million people gone. That's more than lost their jobs during the Great Depression. Hmm. So in closing, <laughs> in conclusion, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Be of good cheer. Whatever's born of God overcomes the world. One more thing before we close. Uh, have you ever heard the term final solution? This was uh, in uh, Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, uh, the Third Reich. He talked about the final solution. The final solution is, is, is the Antichrist's final attempt to exterminate the Jewish race and destroy the nation of Israel forever. Uh, we have been to the concentration camps in uh, Austria and Germany. We were in uh, Mauthausen. And they preserved it so you could see. Uh, and I met, and we met Andy Andrews, who is an author. He wrote a book called How to Kill 11 Million People. And I saw it on the book stand, so I bought it. I didn't know what it was, but it's the extermination of the Jewish race. How to kill 11 million people. He spoke at one of our conferences down in Florida. He's a kind of a humorous guy. <clears throat> but he said, uh, this is referring to the Holocaust. How do you kill, now Hitler killed 6 million, Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, whatever. How do you kill 11 million people? Hitler found out that the problem was not the killing. The problem was the, the dissolution, the getting rid of the bodies. And Andy Andrews said when he was writing that book, he had the manuscript in his briefcase and he was flying somewhere and he was running late and so he hit the security line and this briefcase they wanted to see inside it and he opened it up and there was this manuscript, How to Kill 11 Million People. <laughs> and so they arrested him and took him into a room. He said, no, 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 that's a book I'm writing. And he said, how do you kill 11 million people? Answer, you lie to them. They lied to the Jews and said, we got another place for you, better schools, better homes, better jobs, get in this boxcar, and I'm going to take you there. And they wound up in the death camps. The final solution for Hitler, it, 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 actually it was proposed by one of his generals, is you, you gas the people, you kill them, stack them up like cordwood, and they had freezers there that they put the bodies in so they wouldn't decompose and start decaying and smelling. So they froze them until they could get them into the ovens, and they run them through these ovens, 
and burn them up and didn't take the ashes. And that was his final, final solution. Uh, what's her name that founded what became Planned Parenthood? Margaret Sanger? She was a Marxist. And her hero was Hitler. And so she decided that the way to exterminate undesirable people in her mind, and if you'll notice, most abortion clinics are set up in African-American neighborhoods. So she wanted to get rid of a race of people that she thought were inferior. And so she followed Hitler's example. And that's where the abortion, the killing of the babies before they're born, you'll get rid of them. And Hitler's final solution became her final solution. And uh, they're, they're still doing that today, even though they're being assaulted, thank God. And it'll stop all this stuff. But Hitler's final solution was how to dispose of all these bodies, how to get rid of uh, the undesirables, the, um, <clears throat> the Jewish uh, race. Well, that spirit... Is, was, was in Margaret Sanger as, and is in other leaders today to get rid of undesirable races and undesirable people. The final solution is still there because the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, is in the earth. The final solution is to attempt to exterminate the Jewish race. It never, it never went away. It's still here. That's what the final solution is, and to destroy the nation of Israel. But I got good news. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25 through 28, the apostle Paul says, and all Israel shall be saved. That anti-Semitism is rampant. And I've served with Christians United for Israel for 15 years now. We now have, we started with 400 members and we now have 10 million members and we go to Washington every summer, visit with all of our congressmen, senators. And uh, we've had two or three pro-Israel presidents. The rest of them have been anti-Israel. And they don't want to help Israel at all. Well, we've forced enough. We can jam up their emails and their phone lines by all of the members of CUFI, uh, all telling them that we want this legislation passed. And we've seen a lot of legislation passed uh, that's been pro-Israel. But you have to have people that, that want to help Israel, not hate Israel. Right. Because God says, if you bless Israel, I'll bless you. Amen. But if you curse Israel, you get cursed. Mm-hmm. So Israel will be saved. Hallelujah. God's not going to let his people. Uh, they've suffered enough. But and this was hard for me to grasp. The great tribulation period, it's mostly Israel and non-Jewish nations that are going to suffer the brunt of all of that wrath of God for disobedience, rebellion. Uh, It's it's hard to understand, but if you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll find out that God has warned Israel and warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And they continue to say, reject Messiah. So for all of that, they're going to suffer. But right in the middle of it, in the middle of the tribulation, when the Antichrist turns from a good guy to a bad guy, 
uh, Jesus told the disciples, you'll be led out into a place in the wilderness and I'll protect you there like he did in, in Moses' day in the land of Goshen. Some believe it'll be the... Um, what's, um, <laughs> you wrote the book. <laughs> Help me out, somebody. You know, the, 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 you've seen it. You saw it in the movie uh, with Harrison Ford. Petra. They'll, they'll go into Petra and they'll be preserved there like the Israelites were in the land of Goshen until the great tribulation period is over. And then all those Jewish evangelists are preaching the gospel all over the place. Boy, don't you know that's going to be something? Because if you've ever been around Jewish people, they are in your face. I mean, you don't back them down. They are strong people, and they'll get the rest of the world saved. The Baptists already got half the world saved. Now the Jews will get the other half saved. <clears throat> so what are we supposed to be doing let not your heart be troubled. Be of good cheer. According to uh, the Gospel of John and 1 Thessalonians, we are to occupy. Say occupy. occupy. We are to watch. watch. Uh, we are to pray. pray. We are to fulfill our assignment. Our assignment. And uh, we are not appointed under wrath. Anytime you hear somebody preaching and teaching about, well, this is God. He's getting you. He's going to spank you and he's going to break you. No, that is not God. If you want to escape the, the entire tribulation period, then you have to learn how to walk in victory that overcomes the world by your faith. Your faith is in Christ and what he did what he did for you, what he gave to you, and what he expects of you. It's time for the body of Christ to stand up and be counted and say, you know, I'm going to serve Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to depend on Jesus to deliver me in every situation. <clears throat> little personal story, kind of funny, humorous. I don't know whether it fits or helps anybody. When I was a kid growing up, and I grew up in the Late 40s, early 50s, you know, we, uh, the, the 50s was a great time to grow up. It really was. It was a wonderful time, peaceful time, uh, happy days. You know, it was really, really nice. Father knows best. <laughs> uh, when television was invented and came out, those were the programs. Ozzy and Harriet, you know, Leave it to Beaver. Oh, those were the great TV shows. They're all in black and white, though, but, you know, who, who cares? We didn't know what color was. We didn't know what a TV set was until we, we saw it, you know. And uh, your, your parents, you know, were the mentors. They were the models. They taught you everything you needed to know and uh, would uh, discipline you if you didn't do what was right and what was said. And uh, I remember when I was, uh, I, I wasn't driving yet, so I was maybe 14, 15 and all my friends were smoking. Oh, man, this seems to be the epitome of I have arrived. I, I'm, I smoke cigarettes. Well, I never really got into that. I never really saw why that was so such a big deal. Um, we didn't know much about drugs or uh, any of that kind of stuff. We didn't 
that wasn't even much uh, in our culture, our society. There certainly were no computers, and there was nothing uh, of that nature. But I remember my friends. Now, there's one boy that was older, and he had his own car. It was a 1949 Chevrolet. If you ever know what those big old cars look like, he'd come by and pick us all up. We could get eight of us in that car. Because <laughs> there were no bucket seats. It was just a bench seat across the front. Uh, back. You'd get eight kids in there, and he'd take us to school. Well, everybody smoked but me. And they were determined to, to make me smoke. They did what they called smoke out, which means everybody would light up and they'd roll up the windows and you couldn't get out of the car. I mean, you were just stuck in that haze of smoke. <clears throat> so one day, I, they stopped at a stop sign. I opened the door and jumped out. Well, that just made them more determined. And I remember telling this one guy, he, I told him, I said, look, if I want to smoke, it's going to be my decision, not yours. Amen. Hello? Yeah. Now, you can take that and apply it. It has to be your decision, right. not somebody else's. Amen. Uh, before my dad died, I wanted to make sure he was saved. So I said, Daddy, did you ever go to the altar when you were a kid and get saved? He said, well... Said all of us boys went down one Sunday when the pastor preached hell, fire, and brimstone. He said he preached heaven high and hell hot, and said we all went down in a group. And I said, well, did anything happen? I said, what'd you go down there for? He said he scared hell out of me. <laughs> I said, well, Daddy, that's the wrong reason. I want you to just close your eyes right now. Lift up your hands. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I love you. You're my Lord and Savior. I love your word. I thank you for what you did for me. What you gave to me. And what you expect of me. It's my decision to be salt and light. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me, keeping me, healing me, blessing me. Prospering me. Prospering me. Make me a witness. Make me a witness. Now, with your eyes closed, keep your hands in the gesture of receiving right now. I want to pray for the whole church here. Father, I pray for this body, this body of Jesus, this church company. And I pray, Father, that you would anoint them, empower them with your Holy Ghost to be a witness. Abind any and all fear, shame, anxiety, hesitancy, embarrassment. And Father, I thank you that this anointing is going to empower them to be a great witness individually, collectively. Thank you, Lord, for your power and your anointing. Hallelujah.